If you'd open your Bibles to Revelation 11, please, Revelation chapter 11. We're going to be looking at the first couple of verses tonight of Revelation chapter 11. And the verses say this, beginning of verse 1. Then there was given me a measuring rod. And notice the adverb that starts that, then, then. So after this statement was made that John, he eats that book, and it was sweet in his mouth and bitter in his stomach, and then after he got the admonition, you have to prophesy, and you have to tell these things to the nations, then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations, and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your inspired scriptures. Thank you for revelation. Thank you for prophecy. We do believe the clouds are forming for these events that will take place in this great tribulation, but we also thank you that we're not going to be in it. But I pray, Lord, that this reality would prompt us to realize the necessity of sharing with others the news that they can escape this. And I pray, Lord, for Jewish people who perhaps will be listening to this on the World Wide Web. I pray that you might use this passage to speak to their minds and hearts, and we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. In the old part of Jerusalem today, you can visit what's called the Temple Institute. It's an organization with the goal of establishing a third temple in Jerusalem. And they are very carefully planning and preparing everything, including the pots and pans. Right now, there are a certain amount of select students that are being trained for the priesthood that will exist when that temple is up. Now, there's no doubt that One critical focus and reason of the Great Tribulation is going to be for the regathering of the nation Israel. And to try to read the church into this is just ludicrous. To try to spiritualize this or allegorize this and apply this to the church is wrong. This text has to do with a literal temple in literal Jerusalem, a literal altar, and in the holy city with literal Jewish people. Now, in the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, God is going to turn his attention to Israel to fulfill his prophetic program that he has authorized with her. And he stresses the amount of time. I want to show you that. You'll notice in verse 2, at the end of verse 2, 42 months. That's three and a half years. Flip over to chapter 13 and verse 5. Chapter 13 and verse 5, you'll notice... And they were speaking blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. 42 months, three and a half years. Look at chapter 11 and verse 3. I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days. 1260 days is three and a half years. Look at chapter 12 and verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness and at a place prepared by God so that she would be nourished for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. In chapter 12 and verse 14, we read these words. And two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time. 
that's one year. And at times, that's two years. And half a time, that's half a year. That's three and a half years. Now, you cannot deny when you're looking at this, God has made it pretty clear in this passage of Scripture that three and a half years are going to take a turn in the tribulation toward Israel. And we've already seen in Revelation 7, there was that sealing of those 144,000 Jewish evangelists from Israel featuring 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. And when you come to Revelation chapter 11, you can't dodge this because Israel becomes the main focus of this. I mean, first of all, in verses 1 to 2 that we'll look at tonight, you have the temple in Jerusalem that's there during the tribulation. Then in the next verses we'll look at, Lord willing, next Sunday night, you have two prophets that are in Jerusalem during the tribulation. And then you have the seventh trumpet judgment during the tribulation, and that also is connected to that. Now, the first 14 verses of Revelation 11 are still part of the parenthesis or the second woe judgment and third woe judgment. And during this parenthesis in the tribulation, things are going to swing from God pouring out his wrath on a God-mocking, Christ-rejecting world. He's going to swing this whole thing toward Israel. And a key part of events that pertain to Israel is that temple. National Israel worships at a national temple in Jerusalem. Just read the Old Testament. That's pretty clear. And it's pretty clear even when you read much of the New Testament when Jesus was here. National Israel worships at a national temple in Jerusalem. We don't worship at a national temple in Jerusalem. We worship in a local church. Every first day of the week, every Sunday, we go to a local church and we worship God. That's not how it works for Israel. The temple's critical. And that becomes pretty obvious when you go through this 11th chapter. In the Great Tribulation, there is a literal temple in Jerusalem that contains measurements, an altar, and worshipers. And you will notice when we start this that John actually is the one who saw this temple. John actually is the one who's given the responsibility to measure this temple. And furthermore, as we mentioned, this temple will be a target for 42 months this temple will be a target for three and a half years. It's clear at this point in the tribulation period that temple is standing. John is able to measure it. The temple is standing in Jerusalem. The temple has been rebuilt, and we believe it's been rebuilt in the first part of the tribulation. Now, the most valuable, visible, viable, volatile acreage on the face of this earth is that 35 to 37 acre parcel of land which is a rectangular platform in East Jerusalem on which that ancient Jewish temple once stood. This temple is not standing now. In fact, just recently, as the Jews went through the Passover, they weren't even permitted to enter the Temple Mount area. But flags of Hamas and Islamic jihadists flew proudly. And Jesus predicted that was going to happen in Luke. He said, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. I mean, I want you to think about this for a moment. Right now, tonight, the Jews are permitted by Muslims to enter the Temple Mount area on Sunday through Thursday from 7 to 11 a.m. and then from 1.30 to 2.30 in the afternoon. The Muslims allow the Jews to enter that area. That's their area. That area is owned by Israel. This is the temple area. And as I'll show you tonight, they legally own it. And Muslims are telling them when they can and when they can't visit. 
Well, that's all going to turn around. God's going to turn this whole thing around. The first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation will have been judgments that God is pouring out against the world, worldwide, primarily against the Gentiles. And for the most part, things in Israel and in Jerusalem and around that Palestine area will be pretty calm and quiet. As we mentioned, by this point, one half of the world's population is dead, but things seem to be going pretty much okay in Israel, even though in the rest of the world, four billion people are already dead. But now, when you reach this midpoint of the tribulation, God's going to turn this thing right toward Israel. It is predicted in the Old Testament and the New Testament that this temple in Jerusalem is once again going to be standing. And it is predicted that it will be eventually standing in the very spot where it once was standing. Now, to understand this tonight and give us some perspective of this, I want to analyze this under three main temple themes. The first temple theme is the history of the temple in Jerusalem. I want to give us a basic historical overview of the temple. In 966 B.C., King David made Jerusalem the capital of Israel, and he moved the Ark of the Covenant to the place near the temple site. And by moving the Ark of the Covenant to this spot means this spot was to be a place that was known to be a place that reverenced God. In 993 BC, King David desired to build the temple for God in Jerusalem, but God told him he was not going to build the temple. God told him his son Solomon was going to be able to build the temple. So in 990 BC, King David purchased the property. Hear me, he purchased the property. For the first temple site, which means Israel legally owns that land. And I want you to see that. Go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And I want to start reading at verse 18 in 1 Chronicles 21. We read in 1 Chronicles 21, 18, Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, so David went up at the word of Gad, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves, and Ornan was threshing wheat. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and prostrated himself before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, give me the site of this threshing floor. We're talking about the temple site here. Give me the site of this threshing floor that I may build on it and alter to the Lord. For the full price, you shall give it to me that the plague may be restrained from the people. Ornan said to David, take it for yourself and let my Lord, the king, do what is good in his sight. See, I'll give the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I'll give it all. But King David said to Ornan, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, or offer a burnt offering which cost me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. Then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. Now David legally bought that land. That property where that temple is supposed to sit. He paid 600 shekels of gold for the property. That's about 240 ounces or 15 pounds of gold. Right now, an ounce of gold is worth about $1,750.24, which means in today's money, David paid $420,057.60 for that land. What that means, ladies and gentlemen, is Israel legally 
owns that land literally. She never sold it. So what we have right now is a bunch of Muslim squatters. A bunch of Muslim squatters that have moved into the area who have no legal right to that property at all. And those squatters are going to be removed. That Dome of the Rock shrine that was put on that property in 8691 has no business even being there. That's not their property. It was owned by King David. And in 960 BC, King David made complete preparations for the building of the temple before his death. He challenged the leaders to set their heart and soul on getting that project done, getting that temple completed. And in 950 BC, King Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem. He followed through on exactly what his father David wanted him to do. It was completely dedicated to the Lord. It was filled with the presence of God. It was a wonderful time in the history of Israel when that temple was there. But then in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the Babylonian king, invaded Jerusalem for the third time and he destroyed that temple. The Chaldeans, Babylonians, completely destroyed the temple that Solomon had built. And the reason why God permitted that temple to be destroyed is because his people, Israel, had rebelled so against him, they got involved in all kinds of evil. They refused to turn from their sin. They refused to turn back to him, refused to turn away from evil. So he let them literally destroy that temple. But then in 539 BC, there was Cyrus, the Persian. He conquered Babylon. And he permitted the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild that temple. And in 535 B.C., the temple project of being rebuilt began. In 530 B.C., work on rebuilding the temple stopped because of threats and intimidations. The Syrians were threatening the Israelis, and they just stopped the work. And the temple sat unfinished and dormant for the next 10 to 12 years. In fact, it sat dormant until 522 B.C. when Darius I became king of Persia. He decreed that that temple needed to be completed. So... He appointed the governor of Israel, whose name was Zerubbabel, to go back there and complete the project. And in 520 B.C., through the prophetic ministry of Haggai that we're studying on Wednesday nights, and Zechariah, the temple rebuilding restarted. In 515 B.C., the second temple was completely rebuilt in Jerusalem. It was the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And then we get to 20 B.C. and King Herod, he oversaw a project to refurbish and expand that second temple that had been rebuilt. See, when Antiochus Epiphanes, the Syrian, had gone in there and slaughtered a pig on the altar, he had destroyed a lot of things around that temple area. So Herod decided that he was going to undertake a project to refurbish the temple. The project took 46 years for him to rebuild that until about AD 27. The work of the temple complex continued until about the year AD 63. But then in AD 29, Jesus Christ went into that temple. And they didn't want him there. He didn't like what he saw. He told those people they needed to repent of their sin, and he started slamming over tables and their money-changing operation that they had going, and they didn't want him there. So he predicted this second temple that you've built, it's got to be destroyed, completely destroyed. No stone will be left. 
And in AD 70, Titus, the Roman general and son of Vespasian, literally and completely destroyed that second temple. It was a horrible time. I mean, Josephus describes it as a time when people were starving in Jerusalem, eating their own children like cannibals. This was just 40 years after Christ's prediction. And to this very day, that third temple has not yet been rebuilt. And the only thing that has been found of this second temple, or at least had been found until not too long ago, was part of the western wall that surrounded. But now they found some tunnels that have some pottery in it, some coins, some stones that were found and used for walls. So there's your history of where we're at tonight with this temple. But that brings us to the second theme, the tribulation measurement of the temple in verses 1 to 2. Now, it's very clear when you come to verse 1 of chapter 11 that the third temple is obviously standing, and it obviously is in a position to be measured. And in these two verses, it's clear that John sees this temple, and he's able to measure it. There are various times when John becomes an actual participant in the eschatological action that's taking place. And what that certainly indicates is that in heaven there's activity at various places and various times, various things that people do. And there are two temple observations we make. First of all, John is given a measuring rod. Notice verse 1. Then there was given a measuring rod like a staff. Now the Greek word for measuring rod, kalamas in Greek, is a particular word that refers to like a surveyor's rule or surveyor's measuring rod. It was a reed that grew in the Jordan Valley in swampy areas. It reaches heights of 12 to 20 feet. Ezekiel did the same thing. Ezekiel was given this kind of measuring rod in Ezekiel chapter 40. And the measuring rod he had, if you do the math on it, was six cubits and three inches, and it turns out to be about a ten and a half foot measuring rod. It was a lightweight type of thing, easy to handle, like our yardstick or bamboo. You know, I've been watching this new program. It's called Alone Challenge. What they do is they take these outdoors people and they give them a challenge. They have three days to complete it, and they can only use bare minimal tools And the one that I just recently watched was you have to build a bridge and you have to be able to walk on that bridge. You have to go back and forth on that bridge at least five times without it collapsing. And the person who builds the best bridge wins. Well, this guy, he decided he was going to take bamboo. He said it could be a strong type of thing if you get enough of it. And he happened to be from Georgia and he happened to make the statement that there's a lot of bamboo that grows in Georgia. And I thought, I didn't know that, so I called my brother Tim. I said, you have a lot of bamboo down there that grows in Georgia? He said, we have it all over the place. Apparently, bamboo is well known to be a product down there in Georgia. It's a lightweight type of wood. It's easy to handle. And that's exactly what this would have been. This would have been a literal measuring tool that would have been lightweight. And in John's day, he would have been familiar with it. So John is given this measuring rod. Then he's given measuring commands. His commands are, in verse 2, get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. There are two measurement commands that John has given. Number one, he is commanded what he's supposed to measure. Now, when you take a measurement of something, you are doing it because you're expecting this is going to be my property. I mean, when you go out and you measure something, or you're about to buy land or property, you survey it. 
I mean, you actually bring out a surveyor and they're going to mark off boundaries so you know exactly where your property is. And I think that's exactly what God is doing here at this part of the tribulation. He's basically saying this is the moment of time in the tribulation when I'm going to show everyone we're about to take over this property. This property belongs to me. It belongs to Israel. We're going to take it over. It'll be a little while before we actually do it. But by you measuring this, you're showing this property is owned by the Lord. So the first command that John has given is you measure the temple of God. We don't get the measurement numbers here. So it would seem to me that the purpose of this measurement is not so much to reveal us the physical dimensions of the part of the temple that's already standing, but it's to give us the assurance of the fact that it's there. I mean, God wants his people to understand that this property is literally there. It's literally standing. It's literally in existence. It literally can be measured. Now, based on different Jewish computations, it's assumed that the third temple will ultimately cover a space of about 1,600 feet long, 900 feet wide, nine stories high. But initially, I don't think it's going to be quite that large. And there's been a debate how long it would take to build a temple structure after the rapture of the church. One person from Israel said, I could put the footings up for that thing in two to four weeks. And another person chipped in, we could have that part of the temple completely built from the ground up in 18 months. It could be well-planned, well-designed, and well-built in 18 months. So our suspicion is, shortly after the rapture of the church, this project is going to get underway. I think the Antichrist is going to make a deal with Israel, and that is made known to us by Daniel. He's going to make a deal with Israel, and he's going to allow them to go ahead and begin to rebuild that temple, and they're going to get it up fast. And that's the temple John's measuring. Secondly, he's commanded to measure the sacrificial altar, measure the altar. During the tribulation, it's clear that sacrifices are going to be implemented. I think during the early part of the tribulation, when that temple's up, there are going to be religious Jews, and they're going to be coming there. They're going to be in Jerusalem happy as larks. I mean, they're going to be going to Jerusalem thinking, wow, this guy is really on our side, and we can now worship again. And they're going in there to measure the altar. It's standing. Thirdly, John's command to measure the people who are there. Verse 1, and those who worship in it. Now what that tells us is God knows the numbers and God knows who it is that really does worship him. I'm not so sure at this point you really want to be one of the ones that are numbered, although we don't get the number here because this is the same group to whom Jesus will say when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see that Antichrist go into that temple and he demands to be worshipped as God, you get out of that city just as fast as you can. But he says, measure that. His second command is what he's not to measure. But then he says in verse 2, leave out the court which is outside the temple. Do not measure it. Now, that's an interesting statement. First of all, the concept behind leave out means at this point, I'm not interested in that. And that's not going to have my focus. That's not going to have my favor. It's almost as if God is saying, at this point, that has no connection to me. I don't want you to measure the court that's outside the temple because for 42 months or three and a half years, this part of the property 
has been given over to Gentile powers and the temple in the city is going to be trampled down during this time. The holy city is Jerusalem. We're talking about the holy city. And and notice that in verse 2. It's mentioned there. That is Jerusalem. And Gentiles are going to demolish the Jews for 42 months. There's going to be intense hostility against the Jews for 42 months. And the trampling of the city is not the same as the annihilation of the city, but literally this does become a key part of the prophetic plan that leads to the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ. So God tells John, you measure the temple, you measure the altar, and you measure the worshipers. But you don't measure that. And by saying, don't measure that which is outside the temple, this gets interesting. Because you see, it's possible that Dome of the Rock is still standing there. There's a guy who's a Jewish engineer. His name is Asher Kaufman. And Asher Kaufman claimed that he has carefully analyzed where that temple should sit. And he said, we could actually rebuild that temple without removing the Dome of the Rock, which is that Muslim shrine there. And it could be God is saying, I'm only measuring what's mine. Those people aren't mine. Those Muslims have no relationship with me out there. That Dome of the Rock doesn't mean anything. Don't measure that. Just measure the temple. Then the third theme is the contemporary indicators that the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem perhaps is nearing. Now, the third temple that will exist in the Great Tribulation is not the same as the final New Jerusalem that's going to be built by the Lord Jesus Christ after the millennium. We believe this third temple is going to be rebuilt and standing during the tribulation. And I also believe that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to reign, there's going to be a complete refurbishing and rebuilding of all of that. Now, we've worked our way through this before, but there's some things we've added to this. There are 17 major events that have occurred in our lifetime that would seem to suggest we could be very near that whole process of rebuilding that temple, or at least Israel could be. First of all, on June 8, 1967, during the Six-Day War that Israel fought against Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, Israel ended up in control of East Jerusalem. She recaptured the temple area shortly after this, a team of Jewish scholars carefully measured the dimensions of the place where that temple should be located, 1967. On February 29, 1968, the original entrance to the temple was discovered and tunnels used by the temple priests were found that further cemented the precise location of where that temple sat. On October 16, 1989, two priests dressed in priestly garments tried to lay a cornerstone for the third temple, but were stopped due to protest. On the same day, Time Magazine published an article which described the current preparations for the rebuilding of the third temple, and the article was titled, Time for a New Temple. And in that article, two rabbis told Time Magazine that the third temple could not be rebuilt until they could complete the sacrifice that would offer the ashes of a red heifer. On October 8, 1990, 20,000 Jews assembled to lay a cornerstone for a third temple, and once again, those Arab protesters shut her down. On September 24, 1991, many Jews gathered for a third time to lay a cornerstone for the third temple, and again, they were prevented by Arab protesters. In March of 1992, the exact location of the temple was discovered 
by Temple Mount excavation, and that indicates we could be very near the time when the temple will be rebuilt. You see, when Rome destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70, the foundation of the exact location was lost, but it was discovered in 1992, and now they know exactly where that sat. On February 11, 1996, the Temple Mount and Land of Israel Faithful Movement conducted an international poll of Jewish people of all ages to determine how many Jewish people worldwide were in favor of rebuilding that third temple, and 60% believed it should be built right now. In 1988, more Jews migrated to Jerusalem than ever before in history, a large number coming from the United States, where most Jews feel safe. This suggests that something is taking place in national Israel, because more and more Jews seem to be moving back into Israel and back to Jerusalem, which would indicate that new temple may be in the near horizon. In recent years, blueprints for a third temple have been drawn up, by a team of rabbinical researchers, designers, and craftsmen under the direction of Rabbi Yisrael Ariel. These blueprints have been computerized and computer visualizations of a third temple have been produced. As we mentioned, it's been estimated this thing could be completely rebuilt in one and a half to two years. That would not be an issue. In March of 1997, Yasser Arafat was shown a photograph which was distributed internationally by the Associated Press it held an artist's concept of the third rebuilt temple, and Arafat told his people, get ready for the next battle. In 1997, a red heifer was born in Israel for the first time in 2,000 years, and just this week, I actually this week saw that they have really fine-tuned this, and they have red heifers now that are available in Jerusalem for this very event because ashes of a red heifer are needed for temple worship, according to Numbers 19. Other red heifers have been secured from Clyde Lott, who's a rancher in Mississippi, and these have been approved by Israeli authorities for temple use. In the late 1990s, Israeli divers discovered a Hilazan snail in the Red Sea that produces from its glands a rich blue color, that meets the exact color requirements for priestly garments. Today in Jerusalem, young Levite women are weaving priestly garments for the third temple. In fact, there's a woman, and you can see this online, who right now has the responsibility for weaving those garments, and she is literally at work doing that even as we speak. Then it has been recently discovered that Jewish men who claim to be a descendant of Aaron, which is the priestly line, have an aberration of a Y chromosome, which seems to make it possible to identify and separate them. Some of these young men are now training, in training. They're trying to learn all of the things they can about what are the requirements of temple worship, and they're learning the laws and things, and it's now genetically possible to pinpoint who these guys are. In October 13 of 2004, a special ordination took place that ordained a new Sanhedrin of 71 of the most respected rabbis in Israel. This group is specifically for the purpose of rebuilding the temple. That's what their focus is. Get that temple rebuilt. In January 20, 2005, this new Sanhedrin specifically met to discuss the rebuilding of the third temple. This reconvening of the Sanhedrin was the first time since AD 425. And the whole reason for them getting together, as I mentioned, is to discuss the rebuilding of the temple. And priests are now being taught and trained for that purpose. 
Then just recently in Qumran cave number 11, there was a clay vessel found that contained oil that had solidified into a gelatin substance that is kind of like molasses. It was wrapped in palm leaves that was buried three feet deep in the ground. And a scientific analysis of the contents revealed that it is precisely a match with the formula given by God to Moses in Exodus. This oil is critical to anointing the Messiah in the temple, and two rabbis now have it in their possession, and they're ready to use it at the temple. Then in 2019, the Temple Institute in Jerusalem released a video entitled, People Get Ready. This video is designed to encourage Jews and to get their focus and hope and prayers for the rebuilding of the third temple. Now that can't just be a coincidence that all these things are happening. I mean, when this text here in Revelation chapter 11 talks about there's a temple to measure, we say, man, that's literal. And history backs it up. I mean, the Old Testament predicts there's going to be a temple that will be standing, and then when you look at what's happening contemporarily at the present time, it would certainly indicate, boy, things are moving toward this temple. Now, what we believe is going to happen, based on Daniel 9.27, in fact, I want us to go there tonight, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. Let's go back there. In Daniel chapter 9 and in verse 27 we read, and he, this is the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, or in the middle of the seven, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and the grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So here's what we believe is actually going to happen. After the rapture of the church, this political European leader is going to surface, and he's going to go to Israel, and he is going to make a deal with them. And part of the deal that he will make with them will permit them to rebuild that temple. I think that's one of the things he's going to do. He's somehow going to be able to calm that Arab world down, acting as a man of peace. And he's going to go into Israel, and he's going to somehow convince the Arabs that they should allow them to rebuild the temple, and they're going to rebuild that temple. And most likely, that isn't going to occur until shortly after the rapture of the church. And when they have this guy who comes to them and he makes this peace agreement with them, they're going to hand him the keys to everything. That's what Jesus meant when Jesus said in John, I come in God's name, you don't receive me. But when another one comes in his own name, you're going to receive him. And that's what Jesus was referring to. Israel didn't receive the Lord when he came into his temple. But when this Antichrist comes, who is going to allow them to rebuild the temple, they're going to think, this is our Messiah. This is the one that's here to deliver us. Wow, what a great guy. But in the middle of the seven-year tribulation, with three and a half years to go, he's going to go into that temple. He's going to commit the abomination of desolation, which means he's going to set in that temple and demand that people worship him as God. He will sit there and he will demand that people come in there and bow down before him and worship him as God. That's what, when Jesus said, when you see that happen, you get out of there as fast as you can because he's going to turn viciously against Israel. According to Zechariah, he will go on a rampage against Israel that will end with two-thirds of them being killed. Only one-third of the Jews in the world are going to survive that. Now, the tragedy of this for the Jews today, and the tragedy of this 
for people who don't know the Lord is they don't have to go into this. They can escape this. They never have to worry about facing the horrors of these things that are going to take place in the tribulation. They never have to worry about facing the wrath of God if they believe in Jesus Christ. If they will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be taken out because we're not appointed to wrath. We're not going to experience anything of this. The problem is people won't believe. And Israel won't believe. I mean, it will take all of this to bring Israel to the point where she finally turns to the Lord and says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let God have to put you in some wrath thing to get your attention. Turn to him Believe on him and experience amazing grace. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, why not settle it tonight right where you're sitting? This is business between you and God. Just invite the Lord Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. Acknowledge you're a sinner. Invite him into your life to take it over. Our Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for the nation Israel. We are burdened for that nation, Lord. So burdened. You've done so much for her. You've given her so much, and she's turned her back on you, and and now she's going to have to go through this horrible business of the tribulation and the Antichrist and the temple and the destruction, Lord, because she will not turn to you. I pray that wouldn't be the testimony of anyone affiliated with this church, and I pray that those Jewish people who perhaps will listen to this in Israel or around the nation I pray that it will ring true with them and the Holy Spirit will convict them and they will believe on the Lord and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.